You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. In this activity, trying to fight against everybody else's brains and all of the things that they're thinking and they're doing and the body and the brain connecting and all that stuff. And it's actually a really complicated, complex activity of communication. I'm glad Joseph decided to start counting, even though there's that is no bearing in the activity whatsoever. But it does help, doesn't it? It does help. Yeah, it does help because it takes your mind off of the stick and onto the counting. That was pretty pretty magical, actually. I'd never seen anybody do that before. But here's the deal. What happens is, oftentimes, in this, this illustration, your brain, your brain can actually lie to you. Your brain can lie to you. Your brain can tell you something that is completely false. And you can believe it wholeheartedly and actually act on it. I don't know if you know that or if you've ever done it before. Um, I did some research this week on how to spot a lie, but I have a bunch of investigators in here, so I'm not going to talk about that. But I do know one or two things that I'll just give you a few highlights. One of the quite, or one of the, uh, the and pieces of advice from an FBI agent was listen to the way they say no. Listen to the way they say no. If they say things like, no, likely there's some sort of fabrication of truth there. Or if it's an immediate and angry and aggressive, no. If it's less than conversational, um, listening to people, uh, listening, listening a lot and asking them questions, asking them to walk through stories backwards. And as, as facts start to fall apart, you can start to find a lie. Sometimes it's really hard to spot a lie. And sometimes we see lies where they aren't. Um, I remember one time I had my three children, Creedon, Winter, Jonas is back there. You guys know exactly which story I'm talking about, don't you? We were in Duluth, Minnesota, and I bought a bunch of uh, bought a bunch of desserts and foods for uh, for a, a get together we were having with some college students. And when I got home, there was a chunk of the cake missing, a chunk of cake missing, and it looked like it had just been ripped right out of the cake. Right? And no, 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 no. Let me tell the story. No, no, no. Shush, shush, shush. And uh, so what happened was, I went marching up immediately to their bedroom, and I pulled all three of them into one bedroom. In fact, I think all three of you were in one bedroom at the time. Pulled all three of them into the bedroom. Now you got to remember, Jonas is like two at this time, and so you can do the math on the rest of them. Like, you dirty rotten children, why did you eat my cake? And they're like, we didn't eat your cake. Ooh, and I, I like pulled one aside each, to, you know, trying to get the stories right, trying to talk about it. You got to isolate. You got to talk. You got to clarify the story so you can find the places where they're not telling the truth, right? And they're adamant. We don't know what happened. We didn't touch the cake. We didn't know we, know we had cake. What? We have cake? What is cake? I don't even know what cake is, right? I mean, it just went on and on and on and on and on. And I'm adamant that they that they ate this cake because I can clearly see it. And so I grounded all of them, all three. Of them, like, fine. If you guys aren't going to answer, if you guys aren't going to tell me who did it, you're grounded, all three. Turns out they didn't eat the cake. <laughs> because what happened is, this particular cake style, when you put it in the trunk and drive from Superior, Wisconsin back to Duluth, Minnesota, and the jiggly that splits apart. Because I bought a cake the week after, after I had punished them and been angry at them for a full week, and it did the exact same thing. Looked the exact same way. And so I had to go apologize, but I didn't because you know why? What parent? What parent apologizes? You know, that's an that's not even true. You don't even know what you're talking about. That's it. Done. We're shaving your head. Okay. Uh, 
spotting truths and, and spotting lies and stuff like that can be very, very difficult. And sometimes you can assume that everybody is telling the truth. Is that a good thing? Is that a good assumption? Not really. Sometimes you can assume that everybody's lying all of the time. Is that a good assumption? Neither of those are livable. Neither of those are very livable. Although some of my investigator friends are laughing, going, try it, it's really wonderful. Anyways, but sometimes you can, it's hard to spot a lie because we can come in with this infused idea of what is true and what is not true. We can come in with this infused idea of what is humanity and, and who are, you know, are they telling truths? Or are they telling lies? What's their natural inclination? And this has actually always been a problem with mankind. We will listen to lies and we will often judge the truth based off of something other than fact. Like we will judge it based off of personality. This explains a lot of stuff in our world, like, Basically, every U.S. president to date, you know, so far. But this explains, like, um, this explains things like Nazi Germany, right? Like, you have to have a lot of personality to pull off a lie like exterminating people. You have to have a lot of personality. It explains the Crusades. It explains all kinds of stuff. You have to have a lot of personality to tell a bunch of Christians that it's God's will that they go murder people if they're not checking it with truth. You have to have a lot of personality to pull off a lie. And what happens is oftentimes we will believe the the thing that's being said based on a relationship with the person, not based on what they are saying. This explains even simple things like illegal drugs. Like think of the first guy who was like, hey, look at that bush over there. I know. Let's dry it out and crush it up and stick it up our nose. That sounds like a great idea, right? Like that doesn't even sound like reality, but we believe in that. It explains things like skinny jeans. <laughs> right? I know. I'm going to borrow my sister's jeans and I'm going to wear them tomorrow. Good idea, bro. Explains man buns. I mean, it explains so many different things, right? It explains tons of stuff, right? It's not as though it's not as though you know. There's this firm plan where you're like, hey, a week from now, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a skinny jean lifestyle for me. No, it just kind of you you meet somebody with a great personality, and you're like. I don't know, that makes me feel awkward, but it kind of looks okay. I'm going to try it. It just embarrassingly happens to you, right? It's not like like you make a plan for this. You you start to incorporate things that are stupid and destructive and lying, like skinny jeans, man buns, and Nazis, right? Like You start to incorporate these things based off of things other than reality. We do it all the time, right? We believe assumptions... And assumptions are half of the truth that then are automatically taken as fullness of truth and then rolled into it. That's how a lie works. There is someone who perpetuates a lie or a half-truth, maybe even unwittingly or unknowingly, but there's also the receiver of the lie. Today, in our march through Second Peter, which is where we're going to be, Second Peter chapter two is where we're going to be. If you uh, didn't bring a Bible, we have Bibles underneath the uh, chairs for you. Um, there's a Bible app, or you can snuggle up next to somebody and ask them to show you. That's actually quite appropriate and uh, and a wonderful way to get to know somebody. Just uh, make sure you don't put your arm around until you know them too well. Uh, but we're going to be in Second Peter, and what happens in this book of Second Peter is uh, really um, something that actually is really really hard for us to. 
struggle, we struggle with this in our culture. We struggle with this chapter in our culture. It is a difficult one to read, but it is so timely and so good, and I want to be very careful with how we say these things, with how I say these things, because there's a point to this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first 16 verses of this chapter, and then we're going to talk about lies in the church. Wait, what? There's lies in the church? There can be lies in the church. Anytime you scramble and, 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 and mix up a bunch of people who are messed up people that need Jesus, right? Like, there's going to be some stuff that happens and that's okay. Our job is not to steer clear of anywhere where there's any sin or anything like that. Our job is to bring that sin to the throne of grace, to the foot of the cross. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read Second Peter, and I'm going to help you to see, um, I'm, going to help, I'm going to give you a brief overview of what to look for in somebody who Peter's talking about, somebody who teaches lies. And then I'm going to talk about one that's kind of prevalent in our culture and show you kind of how to defeat that and why that's not a really great thing. And you hopefully, my hope is, I'll be able to peel back some of the things on our eyes that maybe are is a lie we've been living in this whole time because we've been accepting it and our brain is just now fighting with our bodies. So uh, let's read Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Before we do that, I'm just going to pray real quick. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you give us uh, the ability to see who you are in your word that you would move me out of the way and speak through your word because it's not about what I have to say, but about what you have to say. Thank you, Lord, for the word we're about to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 says this, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring their way of, the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons, to be held for judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world when He brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what was going to happen in the ungodly, and if He rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more per, more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed in a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who lived the way, loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and retained the prophet's, restrained the prophet's madness. So as you read this, you can, you can kind of feel this, right? You can look at this and go, man, Peter, that sounds pretty judgy. If you, if you're not reading it that way, then 
you may be pretty judgy too. Second Peter chapter 2 is a judgy chapter. It's a truth. It's a defining line. It's a drawing a line in the sand kind of chapter. A prophet-like chapter where he's going, look, here's the clear line. You're either on this side or you're on this side. And that can really not settle well sometimes in our culture with our... Uh, with, with, with the things that are going on in our culture because we have a, a very high value on tolerance of other people. And so this rubs against that. And what I'd like to do is I'd just like to talk to you about what's actually going on here, okay? One of the things that you need to notice right off the bat is this is not being written about people from outside of the church. Okay, this isn't talking about people who talk about all sorts of um, lies or other religions or whatever, right? Like this isn't a, this isn't the um, the um, this isn't the license to be able to condemn every single person outside of the church. Because what is he talking about? False teachers that will come up with inside of the church. Okay, this is dealing with in-house matters. So that's one of the things that we need to know is what Peter's talking about here is there's a certain standard, there's a certain thing we need to talk about in the house of God, in, in the family. This is a family matter. And so he's talking about there will be false teachers that will come up among you just like there were false prophets in the days of old. And so as these false teachers kind of creep up, what happens is, is Peter kind of gives you a, a wonderful profile of these guys, a profile of these guys. And he gives a bunch of different characteristics. I'll put them up on the screen, hopefully. So the first thing that, maybe we will, we'll see. Uh, the first thing that they do, there we go, hey, is that, uh, that these are people who deny the Lord. Flat out says that they deny the God who bought them. And who saved them. These are people from within, okay? So this is a person sitting in a church who's been here talking about God, talking about Jesus, talking about their maker, and they say, hey, just so you know, I mean, I think that this is all okay even if there's not a God. More than that, they love depraved conduct from verse 2. This is the idea of loving excessive amounts of freedom as though it's something that is not just acceptable, but uh, but but um, not just acceptable, but actually something we should run after. That we should be okay running after all kinds of sin because Jesus freed us anyways. So because we because we have this gospel that we can trust in, we don't need to worry about our conduct anymore. In fact, the more that we sin, the more God's grace is going to be displayed in us. All right? Paul talks about that in Romans. More than that, they exploit people. It says that they're going around exploiting people with stories that they make up. And what exploitation is, is using someone for your own good. And that's what they're doing. These, they're exploiting people. They're saying, hey, guess what? i got a bunch of people that I've got around me. They're listening to me. I'm going to make up some stories so that I can use them for my benefit. And then it continues. He says they, they follow the desires of their flesh. It's not just a, not just the fact that they really enjoy doing things that are wicked. It's also that they're, they're following their flesh. They're following their gut. They're following their pleasure. They're following these things going, whatever I need to do, I'm going to exploit people. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I can have as much desire of the flesh as humanly possible. Insatiable. There's more, okay? There's there's a few more. Next one is that they are bold and they are arrogant. Now, this doesn't just go to personality, but this is a a bold and arrogant is... um, is the idea of being arrogant in the face of the one that's supposed to be actually before that despising authority. Despising authority is, hey, somebody comes in and says, okay, uh, so I think that you should, man, I think, 
I think we should talk about this a little bit differently. I think we should lead a little differently. I think we should act a little differently. Just because I've got some, I've got the Bible here. I want to show you some things where maybe your lifestyle is not matching up. And the false teacher goes, whatever. Nobody can tell me what to do. Only God can judge me. That's the idea. And then, bold and arrogant on top of that, instinctual, I'm talking about just being like, um, I have this instinct, I have this need, I'm gonna go, I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna think, I'm just gonna do. A person who's just a doer without thinking about how it fits in the context and without fitting, you know, fitting in the church. And then the last one, somebody who celebrates in their wickedness. They look at it and they go, look at how much Jesus loves me, I can sin all the much more. Okay, So this is the profile that he gives us, and this is an interesting thing. In fact, I think Peter just does us a very great service here because he tells us actually right off the bat that false teachers will arise among you. It's not that they might, it's that they will. They will. A person like this will come from time to time. Okay? They will show up amongst us. Now that can certainly be scary. You could sit there and go, oh my goodness. And you might start looking around in the room going, who is it? I bet you it's that one and that one and that one. And if you're there, that's you then. So I mean, you might, you might actually be you. But this is the idea is this will happen from time to time. And I will tell you as a leader of a church, this does happen quite often. And your elders, um, your elders and your, well, the elders are your pastors. The pastors of this church, your elder board actually do deal with this on occasion where we have to step alongside somebody and say, look, dude, you hit like everything in this list in like one shot. We need to talk about this. And usually they're like, uh-uh, I'm walking out of here. If you don't stop, if you don't let me do what I'm doing. And we're like, okay, what can we do? So, um, so this does happen from time to time and people do deal with it. But, um, the elder board is like the layer of protection actually for, for the body. And so they, they do do this and you might want to be, you might be hugging elder day. So that would be Nick and Jake. You know, <laughs> Jake's already like this. He got his hands up and like, this might be give a head nod to an elder day. Yep. Okay. That's good. And Jake's like, uh, I'm okay about that. <laughs> So if you think about all these characteristics of a false teacher in Second Peter, what we see is we see someone that is um, you know, bold, arrogant, all that stuff, but they come from within. And actually, what the deal is, is people begin to follow them. It even says that they will entice certain people. They will lead away certain people because this is actually the profile of somebody who's wrapped in Christian terminology, wrapped in Christianity, wrapped in this super holiness, wrapped in all of this stuff where you can, by the outside appearance, you're looking at at them and you're like, man, they are the best Christian ever. Look at that Christian haircut. You ladies are laughing because you know. There are like, yeah, they, they know. There's a there's a Christian woman's haircut. It's fine. Um, that you look around and you look from the outside appearance and you go, that person has got it all together. Let me follow them. And what they're doing is they're promoting pleasure. They're promoting an allowance for wickedness. They're promoting arrogance and greed. And so what Peter's talking about here, what he's laying down here is he's laying down that this thing is a, these people are, are people who subtly twist the message. They subtly twist the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a sw- subtle twist on the truth to where in our minds we can look at it and go, yeah, that sounds pretty, pretty good. And I like their personality. And so I'm going to follow them because I really like them as a person. And although what they're saying may not line up with the things that I know to be true, it sounds good and I get freedom and they, I get to be with this person who's pretty awesome. And all of a sudden it falls into the category of skinny jeans and man buns, right? 
Like we begin to believe this person based on who they are, not based on what they're saying. It's a subtle twist in the message of hope of salvation through Jesus' blood on the cross and His resurrection and His great commission. And so what I want to show you today is that I think in our culture, and here's the application of this whole thing, I think in our culture, the subtle twist that false teachers, that teachers tend to teach falsely, the thing that teachers teach falsely, the subtle twist on the truth in our culture is something we're going to call the consumer gospel. Okay, the consumer gospel. And I want you to get to know what the consumer gospel is. In the consumer gospel, God is about you. In the consumer gospel, church is about you. In the consumer gospel, you look at a church as though you would look at a, you'd grab a box with like a vacuum cleaner in it. Like quick, quick story. One of my first sales jobs ever, because I was a salesman, kind of born a salesman, my first sales job ever was uh, Montgomery Wards. Who remembers Montgomery Ward? Raise your hand. Here's a divide in the in the room. Who has never heard of Montgomery Ward? Raise your hand. Yeah. Think about that. My first job was at Montgomery Ward. It's a little like Sears, only way better. And uh, and I, I was a salesman in the electronics department. Okay. Whoa. So we had cameras. We had a whole you know section of CDs. We had vacuum cleaners and we had televisions. It was the best. I remember one time somebody walked in for a treadmill. I sold them a treadmill, vacuum cleaner, and TV all in one shot. It was so great. It was so great. It was like, but what I learned was I knew nothing about vacuum cleaners. I still know nothing about vacuum cleaners. You click it and you push it and it sucks, right? So you can take it anywhere you want. And so there's this box, right? So what I'm doing with these boxes is I got these boxes in Montgomery Ward and somebody says, hey, can you tell me about this vacuum cleaner? Why, sure, sure I can. Let me just tell you. And I'm looking down at the corner of my eye and I'm reading the label on the box with all of the benefits that are there. I'm like, so, this particular one has a uh, 27-horsepower engine. Yeah, I'm sure I'm reading that right. <laughs> right? So, and I'm telling them all these things. I have no idea what it is. I'm just reading it off of the box. These are all of the benefits of this product. And they're buying it. Which was awesome. But anyways, I repented of that a long time ago. But in the consumer gospel, this is how we look at God. This is how we look at the church. And this is how we look at Jesus. When we look at the package, what are the benefits? What do I get out of this product I'm going to consume, this product I'm going to take? When it comes to God's grace, what's the benefit to me? When it comes to the church, what am I going to get out of this? When it comes to God Himself and our relationship with Him, yeah, but I understand I get the characters of God. I don't care about the characters of God. What does that mean to me, right? And so there's this consumer gospel that, uh, in the consumer gospel, basically what happens is the Bible's about you, God's about you, the church is about you, God's job is to give you your best life now, and if it's not doing it, then it's on Him, and obviously the Bible's wrong. In the consumer gospel, you commit your your great greatest commission your great commission is to be true to yourself to be true to yourself because that's what god's about too is to allow you to be true to yourself but it doesn't stop there it gets actually deeper in the consumer gospel god's about your pleasure in the consumer gospel church is for your pleasure the bible should be instructions to give you pleasure In the consumer gospel, Jesus wants you to have a life of pleasure and ease. And so when we read about those passages of like, carry your cross and follow me, we're like, yeah, but he's talking about a metaphor, right? Like, he doesn't really mean actually pick up a cross and like die like him. That'd be ridiculous because why would he do that? 
In the consumer gospel, it's wrong of you to pursue anything that doesn't give you pleasure. And if you aren't experiencing pleasure, then God's Word is obviously wrong. Now, okay, this may be real easy. We can look at Second Peter and be like, okay, I know that's what he's teaching here. But think about our world. Think about our world. If you have as bad a theology as I do, and I'm pretty sure that most of you do, because I'm the one teaching you, the first time that something goes wrong, what do you think? What am I doing wrong? What did I do, God, to deserve this? And we start looking at, like, maybe I didn't follow things correctly because God's not dispensing all of the good stuff. And all of a sudden I don't know what I did wrong to disrupt the good stuff flow. In the consumer gospel, if the church stops pleasing you, you just leave and find another one. In the consumer gospel, if God stops sending you pleasure down the pleasure chute, you just go find another God. In the consumer gospel, you're the center of the universe. God even thinks so. And if anyone tells you different, you shake them off because haters going to hate anyone. The funda- this is a fundamental shift in truth. Like This is a subtle shift, but it's a fundamental truth, shift in truth away from who God is, away from who Jesus is, away from this idea of who, uh, what Jesus did in our lives by dying because He's obeying God, He was sent by God, spilling His blood for those who don't deserve it, who should have never been able to earn it. He dies and He spills His blood and His body's broken for us. Because specifically because we couldn't do it on our own. Because we weren't worth it. And then we are allowed to be into this whole relationship and that's what grace is called. Now this is a fundamental shift though. This consumer gospel shifts away from the God of the universe and what it does is it makes God about you instead of you being made by God. It's about God worshiping you instead of you worshiping the God who made you. And what happens is when you make this shift... We actually cut ourselves off from a certain character. We, we, we cut ourselves off from the character and nature of God. We cut ourselves off from experiencing a beautiful relationship with Jesus. We cut ourselves off from knowing that sacrifice and service and laying our lives down for our fellow brother, for our fellow man, for our city, for our nation, for the other nations, and for our church. Like, that is what Jesus did. And when we cut off this idea of the consumer gospel, cuts us off from that. We begin to, we begin to understand that Jesus died for us, but we don't know why. We don't know what He saved us for. And I find this happens all of the time in this country. We limit the way that we see, hear, and feel the experience of this world by cutting ourselves off from this side of truth where Jesus laid His life down and calls us to do the same. We cut ourselves off because consumers will always consume. They will always take, they will always take, they will always take, they will never give back. They will stay at a distance. They will stay at the back of the customer service line. They will stay in the back of all this because that's the nature of a consumer. A consumer will never sacrifice. You ever sacrificed for Target? You ever sacrifice for Walmart? It's a sacrifice every time I go into Walmart. No, that's just fine. Yeah, sorry to Christina, but, but actually we do sacrifice for the great rock bottom prices that Walmart will offer us. But I mean, have you ever made a true personal sacrifice for Target? We won't because that's not the job. That's not, it's actually a little bit silly to think that way because we are consumers of their goods. 
Consumers consume. It's an exchange not a, and, and not, a, not a giving of ourselves. Now, it's not my job here to tell you what churches are, you know, have these uh, people who teach this stuff or to talk about, uh, you know, speakers or teachers who promote these type, types of things. You're smart people. But what I want you to see is this. Everywhere you look in this country, particularly, this is the this is the lens that we have. This is the lens that we we have done. We've in fact invented an entire Christian um, an entire Christian consumerism industry. We spend billions of dollars on it, billions of dollars. You should see my bookshelf filled with all kinds of books I never read. To spend money on. Billions of dollars flow into the Christian industry, quite literally in this country, and it's all there to encourage you to become a consumer of Christian goods and services, including the church. We will make decisions based off of this. We'll be like, okay, how do we market ourselves better? Well, what's going to reach out to... Uh, what is? Go- we don't want to make people feel super uncomfortable, so... Ah, man, should we go into a basement? I don't know. It's like a bomb shelter in there. Well, whatever. <laughs> You laugh, but that's kind of the conversation we had when we first moved on here a bunch of years ago. Trying to figure out whether you start to think things like, well, I don't know, it's not really good consumerism, not good customer service. It's not my job to tell you all of the people who promote this stuff, but it is my job to tell you that a consumer of Jesus' products, a consumer of the church, is what this country wants you to become. It's what this country wants you to become. And so for some of you guys here who are uh, school, school of mind students, this will be one of the last weeks I see you if you don't stick around until after finals, because I'll be up in Wyoming next week. Uh, some of you are your visitors, you've never been here before, and you're like, I don't think I'm coming back. And the, the many of you guys are core family members of Common Ground Church. And so each of you, I want to I I drive a point home for you. Here it is. Stop it. Please, please, please don't be a consumer. Please, please, please analyze your heart, my heart. We need to do this. We need to analyze our own hearts. Where are we just consuming? Consuming. The gospel is not something you consume. The church church is not here to allow you to be a consumer of it. The gospel is something that you give yourself to. Jesus is not something that you consume. Jesus is a person you give yourself to. As He gives Himself to to you. See, I think you can kind of see this right there when I say it. Jesus is not a product to consume. He's a person you give yourself to as He gives Himself to you. And if you walk into a relationship, that's a relationship, right? You walk into a relationship thinking you're going to be a consumer. This is what happens actually in many marriages, right? You run headlong into this after the first couple of years of marriage. You first going in to a marriage like, man, where are all the benefits I'm getting out of this thing? All right, here it is, here it is, here it is. And then after the first couple of years, you're like, oh my goodness, this person mouth breathes all the time. This is horrible, right? Like, and, and you start to, it starts to unwind. And if you don't make a shift, you will begin to hate that person because they're not providing you the goods and services that you want to consume from them. That is a disgusting way to look at relationship, yet it is exactly sometimes the way we look at it with Jesus. Jesus is not someone you consume. He is somebody you give yourself to as He gives Himself to you. People who consume relationships are gross. We call them a lot of different things. 
See, this is the beauty of the gospel relationship. This is the beauty of the, the Jesus relationship, the relationship He wants to give to you as you give yourself to Him. And He can do this by the power of His blood that was spilled on the cross and by the breaking of His body and by the raising of right, raising Himself from the dead, by being rose from the dead so that He gives us the Holy Spirit. This is the relationship, is that He changes you from being a person who's about pleasure to a person who's about joy. That's what a relationship does. Changes you from being a person who wants to consume products into being someone who has life being produced in you. The Holy Spirit changes you to, instead of looking at uh, the gospel like a service that's offered to you, it's a place that calls you to offer your service. See how it's getting flip-flopped? It's not a pattern for a better life. It's a call to die to self and to die for this world and to find eternal life in it. Total shift. And that consumer gospel will eat away at every single one of those. Will eat away at every single one of those. Mind students, here's what I want you to hear. Go home. And give all you have to the church that's there. And I know you're thinking, ah, but Brian, I'm only there for like nine weeks. Don't care. I don't care. Jump in. Serve. Say, hey, can I, can I do prayer ministry? Can I usher for the next nine weeks? Can I do something here at this church so that I'm involved in stuff? Because I want to come here and be reminded that I'm here giving of myself. And then come back here. Please. Some of you. Let you figure out who's who. But when you come back, dive in with both feet and hands and head. Dive in. Okay? All in. We will find a place for you to... We'll make up places. All kinds of stuff. But come back here and serve. Visitors, um, maybe you've never been here before. Uh, when you go back... If you're going back to a church, some of you are traveling through, you go back to a church, I just jump in. Serve. Give. Do this whole thing. And if... You're here because you, um, yeah, I'm, I'm well aware of the Christian recycling program where we go from church to church to church. It's fine. If you're here as part of that, what I, you might have been experiencing is I haven't been using my gifts and my abilities. I haven't been serving in any way. Jump in. We'll find a spot for you, okay? Because what happens is you might have, you might be missing something in your relationship with Jesus because you're sitting and soaking and consuming. And for those of you who are visitors and you're going to another church here in town, jump in, find one, commit to it. There is no such thing as a perfect church. If you find the perfect church, get out, you're going to screw it up. (laughs) And then core family of Common Ground, this church is a place right now that needs you. We're having all kinds of conversations over the next few weeks of different things. Mind students, when you come back in September, we'll have a Saturday evening service to address our full problem. We're doubling our need for people who are going to be, that need to help and need to serve. If you love preaching and teaching, you are, and you're, and you're stupid like me and want to get up in front of people, I will train you how to do that. If you want to be part of a prayer team, I'll help you learn how to do that. If you want to just pass around plates and serve as an usher, I'll teach you how to do that. I guess. Any monkey can do it, it's fine, but I'll teach you how to do that. Okay, if you want to come play worship music, that's fine. Talk to me. I don't know if I'll get you on a team because I have like zero organizational skills, but whatever, we'll figure it out, okay? Dive in with both feet. We need you. And run hard after grace. Here's the beautiful thing, one of the benefits that happens as a result of you actually diving in with people. Guess what? You'll have to work with me. And I'm a total jerk. And I, I mess up. 
and I don't communicate well, and I don't talk well to people sometimes, and sometimes I just don't like people, and I don't want to talk to them at all. Although that's only Mondays. But there are sometimes, like, what happens is we have to learn forgiveness and we have to learn grace and we have to learn relationship. And when you're serving, we're going to get deeper together, you and I will, and you and whoever else you're serving with. Here's the bottom line consumers consume, okay? But servants serve. Disciples make disciples and lovers love and people do love. Uh, people who are in love do all kinds of stupid stuff. Right, And so this is the deal is maybe you need a jump start in your relationship with Jesus. And part of that is jump in and serve. And you will find a whole other realm of who Jesus is by actually applying his truth and his life and his spirit into your world. And I'll just close with this. The thought that you can sit here or really anywhere else, the thought that you can sit and soak, sit and soak in the good news of Jesus Christ that He died for you, that He rose from the dead, and He gave you the Holy Spirit, and He gave you a great commission to go to all nations. The idea that you can just sit in that and not do anything, that you can sit under the teaching of Jesus without ever actually picking up your cross and following Him is ludicrous. And it's dangerous. It's eternally deadly, and it's just kind of flat out gross. So no more of it. It's pretty simple. No more of it. Jump in. Find a spot. Do something. Read your word. Read the word of God. Man, I'm so glad to hear that most of you guys actually listened and did the assignment last week. That was pretty great. It's a powerful movement through the Holy Spirit. Like, who here at least read their Bible once last week? Raise your hand. You read Wow, I love that. Great. Like, I don't know. I read somebody else's Bible for a little bit. <laughs> read your Bible and apply it and jump in and do. Right? And if you can do that, if you can jump in, if you can serve, I promise you this, I promise you this, that God will take your life in places that you have never, ever, ever assumed. Um, we have like a family, there's a family sitting that always sits in this back row and everybody makes fun of them because they always sit in the same place. They're called the Fagerlands, right? And so Jesse jumped in with both feet and went all the way across the world to the Philippines. And now he's back here going, man, I did not anticipate that. And we need to go back, and I need to figure out how to bring my whole family back. And there's a motion, a movement that happens, life that's happening in them. As a result of them just going, okay, Brian, I'll trust that you duped me into this whole thing, and we'll figure it out. It's a powerful thing. So jump in and serve. What we're going to do is we're going to pray, we're going to sing. And uh, St. Augustine, or Augustine, said uh, to sing once is to pray twice. And uh, so we're going to sing, and what I want you to do is I want you to just make this song a prayer uh, or, or take some time and pray to the Lord and ask that He would show you a place to jump in, that He would show you a place to serve. Lord Jesus, we come before You and just ask simply that You would move in our lives, that You would help us to see who You are, that we would not, we would no longer believe the lies that we may have been surrounded by, that we can just sit and consume church and consume You and consume the grace that You give us, that we can just sit in that. Lord, You've given us a responsibility as a result of that grace. You've given this church a mandate, a clear mandate, and You're doing that, and we are so grateful for it. Lord, help us to jump in with You and walk with you because we will begin to see who you are in all of that. Lord, help us to know that it's not our job to just walk around and judge people and look for uh, look for false teachers everywhere. It's simply our job to, to dive in and serve and to watch your Holy Spirit awaken us to who you are and that alone protects us. Lord, help us to know that you have a 
a big plan for us and that you're waiting for us to step in to a relationship with you so that you can show yourself to us in a powerful way. Lord, I've seen you so many times show up in my life just because we keep taking steps. So I pray for my friends here that they will take steps and that they will see you and they will show up. You will, when you show up, they will be floored like, uh, like Thomas, the great doubter and say, my Lord and my God. Thank you so much that you call us into some mighty things. And we pray that you will give us a glimpse of what you would like us to do in your kingdom so we can see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.